Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this beautiful Sabbath and this opportunity that we have to worship you in spirit and in truth, to come apart from the cares of this life, from the stress and the busyness thereof, to come into your presence on this holy Sabbath, to worship with your people, to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would come into our hearts and into our minds. Help us to be able to discern spiritual truth as we open your sacred scriptures. Hide me behind the cross. May Jesus be uplifted and seen. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Today we conclude our three-part series of messages entitled, Think on These Things. And Calvin, could you make sure to turn on the uh, television monitor there so I could see the words? Think on these things. And I've enjoyed this series, and it's been a personal journey for myself as we've gone and delved into Scripture about the relevance of our thoughts pertaining to the Christian life. And I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22, 1425, if you're using the Bible that is provided in the pew there in front of you, 1425, and I want to invite you to turn with me there. This is a beautiful scene. This is after God has created or recreated the heavens and the earth. This is after the trace of sin has been removed from planet earth, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 through 5, and this is going to be an amazing day, amen, when we're standing with the redeemed of God before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's going to be a sense in my heart, you know, we made it. I made it by the grace of God. Revelation chapter 22, and this is an angel that shows John what is going to be on the very edge of eternity, a new reality. And he, the angel, showed me a pure river of water, of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And I know that an artist's depiction doesn't do this justice, but this is one person's imagination as to how this is going to be. There is a river of the water of life flowing through the center of the city, and the tree of life is on either side of the banks of this river, and this tree bears the fruit of the tree of life. This is Eden restored. Amen. And the Bible tells us that the leaves of this tree are for the healing of the nations. Scholars speculate that this means that in heaven there will be no more ethnic nor racial conflict. Amen. Amen. That people from every nation, kindred, tongue, and people will be able to gather there in the kingdom of God, and we will be in perfect unity 
and harmony in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 3, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. And they shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Won't that be a glorious day, friends? This is going to be the new reality. We already know the end of the story. This is Eden restored. In the Bible, you have two bookends. Bible scholars tell us that in the beginning, in Genesis, you have Eden lost. That is the beginning. At the end, in the book of Revelation, the last chapter begins with Eden restored. The return of the tree of life, the return of God to His people, and in between Eden lost and Eden restored, you have a 6,000-year history of the story of the plan of redemption in which God brings us back to Eden restored. There's a lot that we can bring out of this passage. The book of Revelation, when you study it, two out of three verses actually quotes the Old Testament. There's an allusion or implication to the Old Testament. So the way that we unlock the book of Revelation is we need to go to the rest of the Bible, and there's a lot of things that we can look at. But I want to hone in on this verse. Verse 4, fascinating verse, and the relationship between these two items, these two things that are described. They are related. It says, they shall see his what? They shall see his face. The Bible tells us that in Eden restored, we are going to have face-to-face open communion with God. And the second part of this verse tells us, and his name shall be on their where? On their foreheads. There's a relationship between these two, and I will highlight the second part of this verse later in our presentation here today, but I want to hone in on this first part of the verse that I have highlighted on the screen. It says, they shall see his face. In the new earth that is going to be recreated, we are going to have open, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, won't that be beautiful, communion with God Himself. It will be amazing, face-to-face. Now, in any relationship, we must recognize that the foundation of that relationship is built upon communication, and the best type of communication is not over the phone, and today we have Skype. Even Skype does not replace face-to-face communication. When I was dating my wife, she went off to Africa for six months for her internship. That was a difficult six months, distance relationship, and I spent hundreds of dollars going off to the store and buying these phone cards for Africa. They would see me regularly, and my my phone bill spiked. I, I talked to her almost every single day on the phone. You know, when you're in love, you just... You want to spend time, you want to talk to that individual, that significant 
other. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. So it was just on the phone. But the frustrating thing, as wonderful as our technology was, and Skype wasn't prominent back then, you know, and I was on the phone and six months of that duration of talking to her over the phone, but I looked forward to the day, amen, praise God, that I could see my future wife face to face, to have that dialogue. Nothing could replace that. And you see that God in his relationship with us, he does not want any barriers. He wants to have open face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, looking into each other's eyes. This is the type of intimacy. This is the type of relationship that God wants face-to-face. And in Eden Restored, we are going to have that type of communication with God himself. This is what happened in Eden. Eden was open communion with God. The Bible tells us that God would come into the Garden of Eden during the cool of the day, and they would have face-to-face conversation with God himself. This was Eden, and we lost that, and God says, look, I'm going to bring that back, open, face-to-face communion with God himself. This is from the book Education, powerful quotation, face-to-face, heart-to-heart, communion with his maker was his, talking about Adam, Adam's high privilege. Had he remained loyal to God, all this would have been his forever, but by disobedience, this was forfeited. Something happened. Because of sin, this face-to-face communion with God was broken, not because of God's choice, but because of our choice. There was a veil that had to be placed over it, and this is the whole story in between the bookends of Eden lost and Eden restored. To restore man, to restore in man the image of his maker. Listen to this. To bring him what? To bring him back. This is restoration. To bring him back to the perfection in which he was created to promote the development of the body, mind, and soul that the divine purpose in his creation might be realized. This was to be the work of redemption. You see, redemption is not just the forgiveness of our sins in the past. It's not just character development. But God wants to bring us all the way back to where Adam was. That is where he wants to bring us, to eyeball, to eyeball, face-to-face communion with the King of kings and the Lord of lords himself. This is the plan of redemption. He wants to bring us back. It's restoration. Genesis, Eden lost. Revelation, Eden restored. And the Bible tells us, and they shall see his face. I'd like to go through a few biblical examples of where we see God wanting to come near to humanity. You see, God is the initiator in the salvation process. He wants to come close to us. You see, the burning bush, God wants to communicate with Moses. God does not just come out like he did in the Garden of Eden. He has to clothe himself behind 
or within a burning bush. This is the medium through which he has to work. He communicates to Moses through the burning bush. God wants to come close, but he has to veil himself. He has to package himself in a medium. Then we see in Exodus chapter 33, turn with me there in your Bibles, as we go to our next biblical example of God wanting to come near to his people to communicate, to have this open relationship with them. But there is a barrier to this. Exodus chapter 33, verses 17 through 23, 101 in your Bible, if you're using the church Bible. Exodus chapter 33, verse 17, 101. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. This is on Mount Sinai. God is communicating with Moses. This is when he received the Ten Commandments, which was written by God on two tablets of stone with his own finger. And then in verse 18, notice this part. And he, Moses said, show me your what? Show me your glory. This is a bold request by Moses. He's communicating with God himself. But Moses wants to see more. He wants to see God. Have this face-to-face encounter with God. And he says, show me your glory. Please. Verse 19. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. He's talking about his character. He said, show me your glory, and the glory of God is his character, goodness, graciousness, compassion. Those are characteristics of the character of God. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my what? You cannot see my face. Important for us to recognize. What's the reason? For no man shall see my face and what? And live. And the Lord said, here is a place beside me and you shall stand on the, on the rock. So it shall be while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock And will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my what? You shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. This is an interesting dialogue between Moses and God himself. He says, show me your glory. I want to see your face. And God says, no, you can't see my face because if you see my face, you will cease to exist. He says, all you can see is my back. I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. He said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. You see, there's a distinct change between Edenic perfection, where they had open communion with God himself, but this was no longer possible because of sin. He said, you can't exist in my presence face to face and live. You can only see my back. You see the dramatic change in the relationship with God, not because God is not willing, but because if we were to stand in the presence of a holy God, we would cease to exist because of our sin. Then you see Jesus. This is the closest that God could possibly come. Notice the language here, John chapter 1 verse 14, and the word became flesh and what is the word up there? 
and dwelt among us. That literally is the word tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. The original, though literally to dwell or tabernacle or tent, the tent was his human body. God came close, but the divinity, the glory of God was veiled in a body, a human body, and the beauty of the incarnation. We cannot understand the physics of how this is possible. The Bible tells us the heavens itself cannot contain the glory of God, and yet God became a human being so that He could come near, He could come close, and we can know the character of Jesus Christ. And look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, consequently, when Christ came into the world, He said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a, what does it say there? But a body you have prepared for me. God wants to come near. He wants to reveal the character of God, but He just does not walk like he does in the Garden of Eden. He has to come in human form, veiled under the veil of flesh, tabernacled among men, just like the sanctuary of old. Now, what happens when we do not have this veil? What happens when we are encountering the Shekinah glory of God without this shroud? This is a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, and there's a story in 1 Samuel where the Ark of the Covenant was taken captive by the Philistines. The Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant into battle, and they lost the battle. The Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines, and they took it to a city. And then there were terrible things that started happening, plagues and pestilences. And finally, they took it to another city and another city. And finally, the Philistines, the next city they were going to take it to, said, don't bring it to us anymore. And so the Philistines thought to themselves, look, we've we got to get rid of the Ark of the Covenant and what they did was fascinating. They took the Ark of the Covenant, they put it on a cart, and they had oxen pull the cart, and they said, let the oxen go wherever it might desire, and it took it straight back to Israel. It seemed to be led by a divine hand. It went to the city of Bethshemesh, and when it got to the city of Bethshemesh, the people gathered around it and said, the Ark of the Covenant is here. Come, let's gather around. And what they did was a fatal mistake. They took the covering off of the ark. The Shekinah glory of God was there in the ark of the covenant, and Moses had been given specific instructions, you are to never take that covering off, except when it's in the most holy place. And they took the covering off, and instantly, those individuals that were around the ark and that witnessed the ark, 70 individuals died instantly. And notice what the people of Israel said after they had died. The people that were remaining said about the people that had died. Listen to this. Who shall stand in the presence of this what? Holy God. Who shall stand in the presence of this holy God? The implication of this verse is evident. The reason we cannot stand in the presence of the holy God is because of our own what? Sins and our own unholiness. So here we have the dilemma. God wants to come near. He wants to have the optimum relationship with his people. 
But because of our sinful condition, he cannot have face-to-face communion with us because the moment that he does, because of our sins, we will be pulverized in his presence. And the Bible tells us, who can stand in the presence of this holy God? Now, the ultimate question is, how does God bring us from Eden lost to Eden restored? And the key really comes when we look at where the Ark of the Covenant was located in the earthly sanctuary. Incidentally, the sanctuary structure can be found from Genesis to Revelation, allusions to it. Every time you hear the term Lamb of God, that is a sanctuary reference. Remember when Jesus came, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God. In the book of Revelation, you have the Lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. In the beginning of Genesis, you have burnt offering, Leviticus, sanctuary all the way through the scriptures. And this is where God's presence is. This structure provides the way that God brings us from Eden lost to Eden restored. This is where Adam and Eve were face-to-face, open communion with God. After sin, where did we end up? We ended up out here, outside of the sanctuary. The way that God brings us back is Through this channel, there is only one way back to Eden restored. And in this, we have three different compartments, the courtyard, the holy place, and the most holy place. There are three different phases, three different stages that God brings us back, that God restores in us the image of God. Let me walk through it very quickly with you. You come in as an individual just the way that you are. That's the only way that you can come. You come here, confess your sins. The laver symbolizes baptism. Praise God, when you're baptized, you have not arrived. You've just started the journey, all right? Baptism is not graduation. Baptism is not here. Many people think you have to be here before you're baptized. This is where it is. It's in the courtyard. As soon as you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're baptized. You need to recognize what you're getting yourself into, and that's why the Bible tells us, teaching us all things that God has taught us, Matthew chapter 28. So you come in here, you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you get washed, symbolizing baptism, and then you come in here to the holy place. Table of showbread, scholars have told us, this is the bread of life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The altar of incense represents the prayers. The lampstand represents our witness, the Holy Spirit working through our lives. And so these three, Bible study, prayer, and ministry, witnessing, this is the place, the holy place, where God makes us holy. God makes us holy. We cannot make ourselves holy. This is important for us to recognize. Just like we cannot make a day holy. Amen. God made a day holy, and incidentally, when you rest on the Sabbath day, it is resting in the reality that we cannot make ourselves holy. It is God that makes us holy. All right? Now, through this, we allow God to make us holy because the prerequisite before you enter here, we must be holy by the grace of God if we're ever to have face-to-face eyeball-to-eyeball communion with God Himself. That is the condition because God wants the optimum relationship with us. So in order to do that, we must pass through 
justification, where God clears your past, your penalty of sin. So when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then you come in here, and he delivers you from the power of sin so that your character can be developed for heaven. And this is where God makes us holy by his grace and by his spirit. We must pass through the holy place where God makes us holy. And then we enter into the most holy place, face-to-face communion with God, and that is glorification. These are the steps that God brings us back, Eden lost to Eden restored. The sanctuary provides the structure. I want us to look at a few passages here. Psalms chapter 24, 3 through 4. Listen to the words of the psalmist. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his what? Holy place. This is asking a question. Who can go into the presence of God himself? And listen to this. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. The prerequisite to seeing God face to face is purity. Holiness. Jesus himself said these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in what? Heart, for they shall what? For they shall see God. There is a relationship between the ability to come into the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and our own morality. In order to see God, we must be like God. Let's go back to our original verse here. Revelation chapter 22, verse 4. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. In the Bible, names are synonymous with character. Notice the place that the name is. It's on the forehead, the frontal lobe, where reason, conscience, character is. It tells us that God's people will have the Father's name written on their foreheads, and I would contend here this morning that the only way that we'll be able to see God is if we have the Father's name written on our foreheads. When you look at the Old Testament, there was only one individual in Israel that was able to go into the inner sanctum of the most holy place, and that was the high priest. And I want you to notice what is written on the plate at the head, on the head of the high priest, the only individual that is able to have face-to-face communion with God. Exodus chapter 39, verse 30. They made the plate, the sacred emblem, out of pure gold and engraved on it like an inscription on a seal. There's a whole other sermon right there. Uh, But I won't do that. I'll resist the urge, okay? Like an inscription on a seal. And notice what the inscription says. What? Holy to the Lord. Isn't that fascinating that the only individual that is allowed into the inner sanctum of the Old Testament sanctuary to the most holy place is the high priest. And on the plate of the high priest are the words inscribed, holy to the Lord. The character of God inscribed on the forehead, and that is the only individual allowed face-to-face communion with God. 
holiness to the Lord. And I praise the Lord that it's not only the high priest of the Old Testament that will have that awesome privilege to see God face to face. It is every one of us that accept Jesus as Savior and Lord and allow Him to recreate in us the image of God. When a painter paints his masterpiece, many times after he completes his masterpiece, he places his signature upon it. The painting did not paint itself. It just allowed the painter to do his masterpiece upon the canvas. And in the same way, when God recreates in us the image of God, he places his signature, his seal, upon our foreheads. Just like God created the earth in six days, and he places his seal, his signature, the Sabbath. The signature of God is the condition for seeing God face to face. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, for the holiness without which no one shall see what? No one shall see the Lord. It's in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Christ Object Lessons 69. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of Himself in His church. Listen to this. When the character of Christ, notice what, the, what it says, Christ Object Lessons, based upon biblical inspiration, when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in His people, then He will come to claim them at, as His own. God is not waiting for final events, friends. It's all lined up. If you haven't read the news recently, all of the final events are there. God is not waiting for final events. He's waiting for a people that have the character of Jesus Christ, the fruits of the Spirit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. When we have the love of Jesus abiding in our hearts by faith, when the character of Christ is reproduced in you and me by the power of Jesus Christ, then he says, I can come. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not been yet revealed what we shall be, but we, what we know that when he is revealed, listen to this part, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When God, Jesus, the angels come the second time, there's going to be a group of people, as we read in our scripture reading today, Revelation chapter 14, these are the first fruits, the 144,000 who have the Father's name written on their foreheads, and God is going to say, there is a people that are just like me, just like Jesus in character. How do we become transformed in character so that we can see God? We allow God to work in our life. We accept justification by faith. Then we go through sanctification by faith. We allow ourselves to be the canvas through which God inscribes his character upon us. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, 
beholding as in a mirror the glory, the character of the Lord, are being, what does the Bible say? Are being transformed into the same, what does it say? Image from glory to glory, from character to character, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The way that we become like Jesus is to think about Jesus, to meditate upon Jesus. For by beholding, we become. This is a natural law that what we think about, what we meditate upon, the things that are in our inner consciousness, the things that we choose to think about and behold, by beholding Jesus, we become like Jesus. This is a natural law in which God recreates in us the image of God, and we behold Jesus through His Holy Word by talking to Him, and we grow and exercise our spiritual muscles by sharing our faith with others. How do we practically do this? I love this statement from Desire of Ages 83, and I encourage us to do this as much as we possibly can. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day, and if it's not an hour, start small, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of what? Of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point and let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones, as we thus dwell upon His great sacrifice for us. Our confidence in Him will be more constant, our love will be quickened, and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. Think about Jesus, friends. Focus on the cross. Focus on His character. Focus on his unselfish life, and by beholding, we will become changed. Is that your desire here today? I want to be like Jesus, friends. Amen. Let's stand together as we prepare to close here this morning. Every head bowed and eyes closed. You've heard God speaking to your heart today. Holy Spirit has been convicting you, and I just want to give a open invitation here this morning, you have not been baptized. You have not entered the courtyard. Perhaps you've accepted Jesus, but you need to go to the next step to the laver, for the Bible tells us that no one will enter the kingdom of God except they are baptized by water and by the Spirit. And today you hear God speaking to your voice, and you want to prepare for baptism doesn't mean that you have arrived. You just want to begin the Christian experience. And you want to say, Lord, I want to prepare for baptism today. And you want to say, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to raise your hand to God here this morning. Amen. You want to be baptized. You want to be baptized by immersion. You want to prepare for baptism. Is there someone here today that hears God speaking to their heart? You want to say, Lord, I want to be baptized. I want to make another appeal this morning. There's something in your life that you hear God speaking to your heart, calling you to surrender. It's a challenge. And this morning, you want deliverance. You want to lay that on the altar. I want to invite you to come forward this morning saying, Lord, I want to lay this area of my life on the altar. I want to surrender this area to you. It is holding me back. And when I come to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, I want this area to no longer have a foothold in my life. 
You want to say, Lord, take my heart today. I want to lay this area of my life upon the altar. We're not coming forward because we're worthy, friends. We're coming forward because we are helpless and in need of grace today. And you want to say, Lord, I want victory in this area of my life. God bless you. God bless you. The Lord hears your prayer. All we can do is surrender. We can't beat this thing on our own, and the Lord knows this area of your life, and it is only He that can grant you the victory by His grace. He just wants us to come. Our burdens are lifted at Calvary, and today you want to lay your burden on the altar before the King of the kings and the Lord of lords, believing that you will receive deliverance. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we know the end of the story. We thank you that you have won the war. That that reality in Revelation chapter 22, when we shall stand before you face to face with your name written on our foreheads, we know that that will be a reality. And today, while our hearts are still beating and while our lungs are taking oxygen in, we have the ability to choose to surrender our lives to you, to choose which side we will be on, to allow you the right to paint your masterpiece upon us and place your final signature of your creation and your recreative power. And today we have come forward asking you for victory in this area of our lives. Lord, you know what it is. You know our hearts. We can't even give our hearts to you. Lord, help us to be willing to be made willing. Change our desires because we cannot help ourselves. I pray for victory for every single person that has come forward here today. You know our hearts. You know our desires. And I thank you that you promise to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. We cannot make ourselves like you, but you can. And we've come asking, pleading, that you would restore in us the image of God and that when you come in the clouds of glory, that we will be like you, that you will see in us the image of God, your reflection that you have created. We thank you and praise you for the victory in Jesus Christ. For we ask these things in his name and for his sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.